Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S., and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fan life. The skyline is etched in my veins. You can never put that out, no matter how hard it rains. In my city. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the 300th episode of Real Hawk Talk. I am Brian Emhauser. You can find me on Twitter at HawkBlogger. And we got a special show tonight. Uh, there is at least one very special guest, and there may be more, depending on how things play out. Uh, we've got the whole crew here. It's going to be busy. We're going to try to give you a, a, a really exciting celebration of what has been an amazing journey from zero to 300. Uh, we've got over $260,000 has been donated to charity. We've got uh, thousands of people that have become patrons, subscribers, built a great community around the Seahawks and for the Seahawks. And tonight, we're bringing in one of the best to ever suit up in a Seahawks uniform. One of Pete Carroll's first draft choices. In fact, if you remember his third draft choice, even though he was a second round pick, the one, the only Golden Tate is joining the show tonight. Golden, it is fantastic to see you. How are you doing, man? I'm great. I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Congratulations um, on this show. You said the 300th? 300th episode. That is incredible. Been holding up strong even since way back when I was playing with the Hawks. You got it, man. It's It's been going on for a while. And, uh, you know, it's kind of kismet that this happened on the same day that Pete Carroll has his last day as a Seahawk. Um, I'd love to, you know, uh, just check in on what's been going on with you since since you uh, hung up the cleats. Uh, obviously, we saw you uh, raise the 12th flag this year. Uh, I believe you said you en ended up on the injured list after that. Is that true? Yeah, so I got way too hype when I was uh, lifting the flag up with my son that I popped something in my neck. And like, as soon as I got done, I was like, oh, crap, this does not feel good. I'm not even playing football anymore. Why, why am I having neck issues? But um, it's it took about a week and a half for it to recover. And I, I would imagine it's the first time anyone's lifted the 12th man flag and gone on the injury, injury report. But nonetheless, man, it was amazing to come back to the seattle area uh, be recognized and honored and you know I, I i walked away from that feeling super super loved by the fan base the, the current players and obviously the coaching staff yeah you you were a fan favorite uh for a bunch of reasons and 
I think one of them is really appropriate to bring up to the start. Uh, you were one of the most physical players at your position that the Seahawks have ever had. Uh, played running back at times uh, in college, obviously. Uh, played baseball as well. And, you know, came into the NFL. And when you caught the football, you you caught it like a running back. You looked for someone to bowl over. You pushed through contact. You were probably the best 50-50 ball receiver I've seen in a Seahawks uniform. And you're, what, 5'10"? Is that? Yeah, per the combine, I'm 5'10", 5'10 and one-fourth. So I got a question for you about that. Uh, is that something that was taught or is that something that just came as part of the package uh golden tate as a player you know so just going back to my childhood i've always been extremely athletic and usually the most athletic kid on the team and even in the area code and something my father was a huge football guy set a bunch of records over at tennessee state university uh, at the at the wide receiver position and like playing ball was just a part of my happiness like Whenever I had a chance to go out and play ball, I was going to go do it. Um, and just using my hands, um, it was something that I knew I was gifted at and kind of just stayed with it. And I actually got recruited going into college as a running back. Um, but when I went to Notre Dame, they saw that I was focusing on the wide receivers. And Charlie White said, you know, what the heck? We're recruiting as a, as a wide receiver now. Um, but going to my going into my you know, freshman year, I knew that I can catch. I knew that I was fast. I knew that I was quick, but I had no, no idea on how to run routes and the, you know, what you're supposed to do, how to get releases. And so that was where it was quite a bit of a learning curve for me. Um, and then just kind of how I viewed myself. Like I knew that I wasn't the typical six foot, six, one, four, two, four, three type of guy at that time, but how was I going to separate myself? And I knew that every time I touched a ball in my mind, I thought it was an opportunity to try to score. And so every time I and I thought I had multiple ways to affect the football field, rather it be on punt return, kick return, running back, receiver. Hell, if you even wanted me to line up at DB, hell, I probably would have figured that out, too. Um, but it's just kind of the mentality that I had, like I wanted to separate myself from all of the typical wide receivers. And I thought that's how I was going to you know, have longevity. And so I'm, I'm model my game after people like, I love Percy Harvin's game um, and his, his gifts, but Heinz Ward was another one. Steve Smith, though, between those three guys, that's how I viewed myself. Um, and then once I got to Seattle, uh, I learned quickly that it wasn't like college where I was going to get eight, nine, 10, 11 targets because we were a run first team. And understandably so. With our defense, we wanted to control games. And with our running backs, uh, with Marshawn and Turbo and our offensive line and Russell taking off, you know, I understand it. But so I, I had to maximize every single opportunity. And, you know, turns out I ended up being known as uh, the Yak King um, and gained a lot, most of my yards, it felt, it felt like after the catch. Yeah, it, it, it's something that just stood out to me. I mean, I remember it, it was not a fast start to your career. You know, it, it was it took a little while before you got rolling. But once you did, you became one of the more prolific receivers in the NFL. And, you know, there was you, you mentioned Percy Harvin, which we won't go into to all the details there. But um, that move when the Seahawks brought Percy Harvin to, to Seattle, 
ultimately forced a bit of a, I don't know, Sophie's choice. If you, if you have of like, they had to just sign Percy and traded. You were, you were fantastic. Doug was fantastic. And there was kind of like, how are we going to handle this? Ended up meaning that you, you went off to Detroit and I mean, I got so many questions for you. The guys are going to want to get in here a second, but um, off of the Seahawks for a second, you played with Matthew Stafford. You played in Detroit. You know what that city's gone through in struggles. You know who Matt Stafford is as a quarterback, and I'm guessing you've watched a little bit of how he's played this year. What do you make of this game this weekend? I feel like it's got to be one of the most interesting matchups going into the, to the weekend. You know, I've, cho- I've chose to believe that um... – the NFL definitely has a script, and that's why they made <laughs> that's why they made the Detroit Lions lose against uh, Dallas some strange way because they wanted this matchup. I mean, and this is what everyone's going to be all eyes on this this game right here. I mean, it's got it's set up to be great for the broadcasters. I mean, you got Matthew Stafford who was with Detroit, now he's with uh, he switched uh, switch with uh, Jared Goff who's with the Rams. You know, Matthew Stafford leaves Detroit, gets a Super Bowl ring his first year there. Jared Goff, they thought he was going to Detroit to die. And Jared Goff has just brought this team back along with Dan Campbell and all the other pieces. And so it's setting up to just be a terrific ball game. And honestly, right now, there's they're one of the hottest teams in the NFL right now is the Los Angeles Rams. And if I am anyone who has to face them, including the 49ers, I'm worried about I'm worried about them. Um, you know, Matthew is is playing at an elite level. I mean, and, and they remind the Rams remind me of, uh, you know, how we were when when I first got to Seattle draft very well. Your drafts is where is where you sustain greatness. And we drafted very well. And they've shown to draft very well. And guys like Puka and Kyron, and they're going to have these guys for another three, four years before they have, or three years before they have to pay those guys. You went and got uh, Matthew Stafford, who all along I've, I've told people, Matthew Stafford is the best quarterback I've ever played with. And people um, from Seattle specifically got so offended and was so pissed off at me for, because I said that. And then once he left Detroit and they saw him play, it's like, okay, this dude can, this dude can play, but this matchup is going to be incredible. I'm, I'm actually, I actually think I'm going to head out to the game um, to, to watch it because it's going to be one of those types of games, but uh, I'm excited. I'm excited. I mean, this is like the first time it feels like ever that Detroit lions has earned a home playoff game. And not only that, I probably you know, they're favored. So we'll see what happens. Um, but Matthew Stafford against that defense could be, could cause some problems. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm certainly lions are one of my favorite other teams and certainly rooting for that city to have some success. Uh, Evan, uh, I'm going to give you the floor next. Evan Hill, Evan Hill HB on Twitter. Uh, I have not asked golden anything about Pete um, or anything else. So the floor is wide open. Where do you want to start? Yeah, Golden, I got a I got a specific question for you, but I just got to say one of my favorite moments of yours in post game, you uh, you told a reporter that it was probably a little bit immature of you. And I'm repeating your own words. But one of my favorite moments of yours when you was when you gave that talky talky uh, taunt. <laughs> To Rodney McCloyd in the Rams game. I think you caught a deep pass from Russ. There was like 10, 15 yards of separation. Uh, 
but anyways, I had, to, I had to start off by saying that was one of my favorite moments of yours as a Seahawk. Um, <laughs> but is there a moment, like maybe a Pete Carroll-related moment, that you look back on in your time with the Seahawks where you really, really value or look back on fondly? Um, man, Pete, Pete, there's so many incredible moments that we had um, collectively as a team, but also individually. But honestly... Man, he was a jokester and he was a player coach and he was a competitive son of a gun. And that's those are the things that I loved about him. Um, and, and every day was a competition nonstop. And I thrived in that. But I, I what I appreciate the most about Pete was his patience with me. A lot of guys drafted in the second round are expected to come in, uh, make a difference right away. And for me, that was a, that was a third year i'd ever been playing uh wide receiver so I, I was trying to learn and on top of that was a knucklehead um and he just he was patient with me man he was patient um I, and i'll never forget that when when jeremy bates left uh after our first year i just i mean i just felt like he picked on me non-stop and i just did, did not like jeremy bates or the other guy jeff or not jeff fisher but the other guy fish Fisher. Oh, I couldn't stand those dudes. But anyway, he I remember Pete tell I mean Pete telling me like I got rid of those guys because they didn't see the vision that I have for you. And I was like, oh wow, he really likes me. So second year, I didn't do much either. But my third year is when it clicked um for me. And I think everyone reaped the reaped the benefits. I mean, a lot of guys, a lot of coaches and scouts would have given up um by year three, but they they stayed had faith in me and it paid off. Jeff, uh, at Real Jeff Simmons, uh, next up for you, uh, where do you want to go with Golden? Uh, first, I want to, I'm still disappointed that they didn't sign you. I, I think that cost them the second Super Bowl. I, th I think you would have been on the field there. I agree. But it was really cool to see you go to Detroit. And <laughs> we always thought that if people left Seattle, wide receivers left Seattle, like you were saying, that offense, like you guys would have put up huge numbers. And seeing it with you was really cool. Like, what kind of numbers do you think Doug Baldwin would have had if he was in a different offense when he was taken off? Man, Doug is probably one of the best route runners I've ever been around, and his releases were nasty. Like, I envy his releases because my hips just physically would not let me do what he does. I mean <laughs> – the fact that this guy, what was he Was he undrafted or undrafted? Drafted? He was undrafted, man. And I cannot even believe it. Um, but he can get open just off of the release. He would have DBs panicking before the route even started because of his releases. And like just to watch him get better and better and better on top of his mentality, that, that man was a dog. He had a way to flip a switch off where he would go to a very – it was it was a, a very awful place for the <laughs> defender, but it was a great place as his teammate. Like you just love to see it. Like he had a chip on his shoulder, and he played it. But he's one of the best teammates I've had, and one of the realest dudes that I've been around. And man, just if he goes somewhere else that that throws even forty percent of the time, <laughs> I'd be he, hell. He might be putting on a gold jacket soon, Nathan. Where you want to go with Golden? Yeah, I mean, you know, 
Brian talked about one of the big things I always think about when I remember you playing is your physicality, your energy. Um, and then Evan actually, you know, brought up the other one is your celebrations. Um, you always brought a little bit extra, uh, which I loved. And I'm curious, do you have a favorite celebration? Was it waving goodbye to the Rams DB? Is it jumping in the band? Uh, when you think back on them all, do you have one that is your favorite? You know, um, for the longest part, my celebrations were not like something I planned. It's just it was in the moment, me having fun. And I've always believed that, dude, I work my ass off in practice. And so when I do something right or I score, like I should be able to have fun with it, no matter what happens, as long as I stay within the rules, which I didn't at one time, <laughs> that fine. But, um, you know, I just my favorite one was probably when I was in Detroit. Um and I did the the rock. I did like the do you smell what the rock is cooking? And I did off the off the whatever you call it, the ropes. Um, and then I did the people's elbow and it worked out perfectly. And that was probably my favorite one to do it do. But like once they lifted the celebration like rules and we could actually like celebrate with teammates. I mean, we did some really cool ones. We did uh the Rockets uh during Christmas time. I did like a bowling celebration i did a tiger woods tribute we did like a rock'em sock'em uh tribute and i just had fun out there man i just had fun i mean this game is extremely challenging and it's hard to succeed but when you do it's so satisfying so why not you know celebrate and entertain and besides that like we're on tv like people you never know how people start watching football or how they start becoming fans. Maybe it's fantasy football. Maybe it's the uniforms. Maybe it is the celebrations. Maybe it's just like, oh, I see, I saw this guy celebrate. And I just want to, I want to watch it for the celebrations purely. And then you start learning more about football. So I always thought like, hey, we're football players, but we're also entertainers. Golden, uh, you played in, you played in New York. You played in Detroit, you played in mm -hmm. Seattle, mm -hmm. various different cultures, different cities, different, you know, coach, you know, coaching staffs. One of the things that stood out about the Seahawks, when you joined 2010, this was not a losing and this is not a winning franchise. Mm -hmm. And even though it won the division title that year, you had beast kick quake that year, beat the Saints in the playoffs, really didn't start till a couple of years later. Mm -hmm. um, and that you mentioned dog. And, and when you referenced Doug, my understanding is that locker room was full of dogs and alpha mentalities. And my question for you is how common was that for you in your NFL experience? Is that something that, you know, fans make up a bigger deal that there's a huge disparity in different locker rooms and different cultures, or was there something, something different about that group in Seattle? I would say, Obviously, so Seattle was my first stop. And so I just assumed when I got there, the NFL, this is just how the NFL was. I thought facilities were awesome. Coaches were the best in the world. Food was awesome. Winning was easy. Um, and little did I know, like, once I left, I found out that is not the way it is in Seattle as far as, like, how we get taken care of. Like, Seattle is one of the best, the best organization I've been a part of from top to bottom, the economy and everything. So I'm super grateful for that. But Pete Carroll allowed us to be ourselves and he was okay with that as long as you worked your tail off and didn't jeopardize the team be you and i look back i don't know how he managed 
all of us and kept all of us happy and but while doing that because I, I went to other places and guys who got too vocal unless you were like a superstar are oh, we gonna get rid of you hmm. you, you better get back in line but pete let us be ourselves and we had a lot of personality from from top to bottom but the one thing we all had in common like we had a lot of personality but we would show up to work and pete made sure that we worked and as long as you worked be you um and so i, I don't think it's common to have as many dogs on the team for one but also personalities um you know you look at the patriot way which i i, I had two coaches after i left seattle that were from the belichick tree and it was absolutely miserable like it was not it was like shut up and play ball that's it dress up have no personality if you were if you're thinking about anything else besides football then you're screwed up and that was not how it was in in seattle like pete pete said hey don't make things up if on friday nights you got to dinner keep going out to dinner on friday nights like don't make anything up and you know we we just we excelled but we also had a little bit of luck on our side i would say like you see now so many teams are just plagued with in injury but with our youth and and how we thought of ourselves like we all thought we could run through a brick wall and wouldn't even be sore we all thought we can do whatever we want as far as like throwing our bodies around and nothing was going to happen and that's not the case a lot of places um and I, you know you can blame it on the strength and conditioning program or just luck on our side but we just we were able to go out there and just have a confidence that one we were going to be protected and and, and play our, our butts off and no matter how much we were down or where we were we were going to win and it was non-negotiable we weren't losing at home my third and fourth year point blank in the story i remember those days i remember those days uh dan quinn's name has already been come up um as a possible person to come in you were around when dan was here what are your thoughts on that yeah, I, I read something. So, uh, remind or, or is he looking to come in as a head coach? Or be head he looking, coach. He'll be okay. head coach. You know, he look. He knows what it takes to win. He was in uh, Seattle with us when we won. He went to Atlanta um, and won. Um, Should have won Super Bowl, but you know they choked. Um, <laughs> so he knows how to win. Um, it'd be great. It'd be great to have him back. Um, and yeah, I mean that's kind of all I know. All I know at this point, I'm still trying to. You didn't have a. You didn't have it. It sounds like you and Dan didn't have much. Uh, you know, crossing he, paths when you were in Seattle. I, I loved him as a person. He fit in great as a coach. And but I was young and focused on just the, the football and trying to figure out the offense. Yeah, makes sense, uh, Evan. Yeah. No. Golden is. Um... You know, we've got a lot of young receivers on on the Seattle side that we're we're super excited about. Um, JSN, Bobo, you know, you're a veteran. You've been through this league. You've negotiated, you know, awesome contracts for yourself. What advice would you give to a young receiver uh, like Seattle's who's just entering the league and just getting started? I would say just stay with it. Um, football needs to be the most important thing in your life as far as working on your craft and i'm not saying don't have fun but it needs to be the most important thing in your life and if something else is making it so you study a little bit less 
or you don't take care of your body um, as well as you should, or you're not 100% of practice, you need to cut it out because like this time frame to play football is a glimpse. Like I remember when I came in as a rookie and then when I retired, I couldn't believe it was already over. I was like, what happened to that time? Like what happened? So while you have that time, like grind it out. There are going to be days you don't feel like doing something. There are going to be days where you just don't want to be bothered by anyone, but grind it out because it's just so satisfying when you can call yourself a champion and when you can look back and tell, in my case, my kids that, hey, daddy won the first ever Super Bowl for this organization. Mm -hmm. Or daddy gets to raise a 12th man flag because of my performance on the field. Daddy is a fan. My, my, my son got so flustered because he's like, daddy, I don't like all these people talking to you. <laughs> and like deep down, I was like, it, it felt like such, such an honor because like when it's over, you can't help but to think like, dang, people are going to forget about me. And that's not the case. That's not the case, uh, you know, especially if you do it the right way. So young guys, just stay focused, stay focused, man. And just enjoy, enjoy the journey because once it's done, you may you're probably likely never going to experience something that can even compete with the feeling of having those 12s leave work and talk about you and support you and show you love um, week in and week out, no matter if, you know, when you're at your best or at your worst, like that's one thing that the 12 man, 12 man, they are consistent and they consistently love their sports. So I, I do have one follow-up for you. You said people don't forget about you. Obviously, you caught a very important touchdown against the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> do you ever run into Packers fans in public who remind you about that play? Just like out of random curiosity. All the time. All <laughs> the time. Anyone who, I mean, they ask me, hey, so, so GT, like, did you catch it? Did you really catch it? <laughs> And I tell him every time I caught it just as much as anyone else did. And the tie goes to receiver. And I will go into history for bringing the official, the real officials back. But also <laughs> the NFL a day after two days later came back and said those guys that made the correct call. They did. Uh, yeah. I even bought a bought some wine from uh, Rob Woodson because he's got a winery and he signed a bottle saying something like it. You know, it was not a catch. Charles Woodson, <laughs> hashtag fell Mary. And, you know, I, I'll take it. But speaking on that play in that game, man, that after that play, that's when my that's when the whole traje trajectory of my career changed. I went from just Golden Tate from Notre Dame to a household name. And uh, it was something that I wanted. Like, you know, my name, my Twitter name and Instagram name was Showtime Tate. And I think after that moment, I lived up to that name. Uh, yeah, so a lot of the best teams now, like they're trending towards these offensive coaches and offensive play callers. And you saw Pete get let go today. You saw Vrabel get let go so shockingly the other day. As an offensive guy, do you think that's something the Seahawks need to be looking at? Or do you think that matters? Or is it more about like being a leader, setting a culture, some, some, of, some of the stuff you just said about Pete? You know, I think it's all a balance, man. It's it's a balance. And the way I understand the league is that defense wins championships. You can't stop anybody. You know, I, I don't know how you can win. Like not everyone is going to be able to be able to go out there and light up the scoreboard. I like I like the fact that, you know, if you have a really good defense and a really good run game, you can control games, in my opinion. Um, but 
but truth, truth be told, if I can get into, if I'm an offensive player and I can find my way into any of the Shanahan offensive systems, I feel like I'm, I'm going to eat. Um, so as a player, that's what you want. But, uh, you know, with all the rule changes and how they protect different guys, it, it makes it tough. Like defensive players really have it tough right now. Like you can't even, you can't really touch anybody without maybe getting a penalty and a FedEx sitting right there in your locker by Tuesday. So it's, the game's kind of changing. As an offensive guy, you love it, of course, because now I'm going to be protected a little bit better, but it's rough. Nathan. Um, <clears throat> you've been out of the league for how many years now, actually? It, you know, I haven't even officially retired. I just haven't mustered up the energy to write up whatever I want to write up and post it or, you know, who I'm going to retire with because it's I don't know who to retire with, but um, to, I, I would say probably what two years at this point. Wait, you're not you're not sure who to retire with in terms of like which team to retire with? Yeah, and I'll break it down. So, <laughs> so I go through this battle where Seattle was drafted there, won a Super Bowl there, but then I go to Detroit where I was, you know, made a name for myself. Statistic statistically, had my best years. You know, well, I think I had what two or three 1K seasons, voted to a Pro Bowl, um, became the Yak King, the bona fide Yak King, and actually spent four and a half years in Detroit. And so I'm like, I don't know who to retire with because I love both of them, both organizations and fan bases um, just as much. I know Seattle kind of took a chance on me, and that's the reason why I even made it this far. So like, that's kind of where I am. And so I'm like, man... What do I do? I have an easy answer for you. I think you should uh, retire as a Seahawk, but um, <clears throat> I get that it's a tough choice. I, I was going to ask you, though, what do you miss most? You know, I, I miss some um, Sundays and Monday night games and Thursday night games. Um, I miss the locker room and the relationship that you have with all the guys. And I think everyone who retires will say the same thing. You'll never have that bond and camaraderie that you have in a work environment on a football or on any sports team. And so that's something that I miss and I try my best to find it. And I find that community by playing golf with my buddies or playing a lot of pickleball nowadays. Um, and so, yeah, that's yeah what I miss the most. I've heard, I've heard that question asked to a lot of athletes. And I think everyone, like you said, gives that same answer. And I think it's really cool that that's, the thing that everyone takes away from it. I mean, it's such a brutal sport, but you get like the community and all that and the relationships. So I think it's really cool. Absolutely. Hey, Golden. So it is, it's about half past. We told you we're going to let you go at this point. We're, we're about to have another guest join who you know and played with. Up to you if you want to stick around. He'll be on for only five minutes um, or we, and then we can keep talking. Or if you are ready to go play with your family, you are good to go. Where do you want to spend your time? I'll hang on for a few more minutes. Nice. Well, we'll keep talking until that next guest joins. Um, right. I am going to, I'm going to probably have to have one of the guys drop for a couple seconds to make sure we've got enough uh, slots for this next guest to get in. Um, I'll let one of the guys decide who that will be. Um, so one of my questions for you, we, uh, you know, there's a common theme to where my head's at is, I look at where the team was when you joined. I look at where the team is right now. 
And I want to see, I want to see this team get back to the type of toughness and excellence that we saw. I don't know that they're going to, you know, that was a lightning in a bottle. Right. And so I don't know that they're going to be exactly that, but I'm wondering, is it the players that bring toughness that bring uh, that, like that next level mentality and quality of play? Is it the coaches as a player? How much do you attribute to coaches versus players in, in kind of setting that direction? I think you have, a, I think you have to have a balance. And when I reflect on my time in Seattle, it, you know, if you had a string that was, you know, here to down here and we'll say the, the, players and coaches are up here when we pull up a little bit down here needs to be in sync to like we need to be moving together in sync and so i think for the winning organizations the ones who are consistently winning you need that balance um now you dig deeper peel back the onion a little bit more i think it's a combination of obviously the players and the coaches being able to work together and you know the injuries the injuries are a really big thing you know because you only have so many slots on your team and you know like jamal adams has been uh, he, he's one of the better players in the league but just hasn't been able to be healthy um as of late um and so like that, that hurts you i mean he's an all pro type safety you know when he's on the field playing ball um and when you don't have a guy with that type of presence in there it takes a toll and like one thing like i said earlier we got lucky or we got lucky that we just didn't really have any major injuries when I was when I was playing and speaking of uh, all pro my boy what's happening what up what up everybody Bobby Wagner uh B Wags man I can't tell you how much I appreciate you joining uh, for our 300th episode you know congratulations on your 300th episode by the way thanks man you know we've we've, we've as you know we donated all proceeds to charity 260,000 bucks plus so far and uh having folks like you on just uh makes a big difference we've been catching up with golden uh it's it's great to uh see the two two of you on the field uh sure. now happens to be the, the video field so um man talk to us for a second bobby about uh coming back like golden we talked about golden uh growing up here and then going off to detroit new york didn't get a chance to come back other than raise the flag you know, you you left. You got to come back and play this year. What did it mean to you to come back this year? Man, it meant a lot because, uh, you know, that last game when we played at the Rams, um, it was just seeing that applause and seeing, like, the, how much love um, the city had for me, I think was really cool. So um, to be able to put that jersey back on um, and hear the crowd and be a part of the fans and be a part of the organization um, was dope. And, you know, the last play I played before the season – um, my last play as a Seahawk was me getting hurt. And, you know, I was praying that that wasn't my last play um, as a Seahawk. So to be able to come out, play a full season, um, you know, be a part of this team, um, it was definitely a blessing. All right, Bobby, I'm going to ask you one more and then let the other guys get in here for a second before I know you got to go. Uh, when asked if you were going to come back and play again, you said absolutely no, no hesitation. You know, there's a lot of guys that that don't keep playing. And it takes a huge toll. It's a huge commitment. Um, you play a very physical position. Uh, what is it about playing this game that keeps you coming back year after year? 
Um, I think it's just the love for the game. I think it's the camaraderie that you have with your teammates. Um, you know, I think it's feeling like you have, you know, stuff left in the tank. Um, the joy that you get putting on the pads and going out there and performing and things of that nature. I think a lot of that plays a part. A lot of it is too, is just chasing greatness. You know, you watch guys like Ray Lewis, you watch guys, um, even like I would say Patrick Willis and, and things of that nature, like uh, London Fletcher is another guy that played for a long time, but, you know, seeing them play at a high level um, for a long time, even like LeBron watching those guys play at a high level um, in their respective sports. Um, you just try to do your best to be, uh, mentioning those, that category. Hey, Bobby, it's uh, good to see you face-to-face, -face, man, on the video. I appreciate, up, you, uh, appreciate you joining. One thing I love about your story, man, and uh, I think a lot of people have overlooked this, honestly, throughout your career, is not only are you an all-pro on the field, but you're also representing yourself in contract negotiations for several of your recent deals. I'm curious to know, I think you did some reading from Jason Fitzgerald and over the cap book from a few years out. I think you may have crunching read that numbers. book. Yes, crunching yeah. numbers. I, I knew you had it. Um, I'm curious to know what your process, like how that process of learning the salary cap, the art of contract negotiation, how that process has been for you over the past several years. Because that's a whole, I mean, we all know football is a business, but that's a whole different side of the game that a lot of people just delegate to an agent. So I'm curious to know what that process has been like for you? Um, I think it's been great, to be honest. Because um, again, like, you know, you play this game for a long time. And I think a lot of times what guys, you know, get in trouble with is um, they put everything into the game. And when it's taken away from you, however it is, um, they don't have, they don't necessarily know exactly what they want to do life after football. And so being in business was something that I knew I wanted to be in. Uh, we all understand football is a crazy business. so one of the hardest ones. So if I felt if I can learn this, um, you know, it would set me up nicely for any other business I try to go into. Um, and so these last few years, just representing myself has been great from my perspective, because, you know, you got to uh, you got a chance to to talk to different presidents um, from from each team, different GMs from each teams and start to create these relationships um, with these guys that make these decisions. And you know, when your time is done and you want to get involved, um, they have a perspective of you that is not just solely about football. It's also, you know, you know what you're doing um, from a business side. And, and, you know, maybe that helps me um, get to my goal after football. So. Have you I'll, 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 one follow up there? Uh, have you found it difficult to balance like the financial business side of negotiations with like the with the personal emotional side of it, because if I was in your position, I would find it difficult to, uh, you know, submit an offer to, to like a Matt Thomas, just picking a random name and somebody, you know, sends you a counter and maybe it's not what you think it might be, or you think you're worth more. How have you balanced that sort of like emotional and financial elements to negotiation? Honestly, I think that's the biggest thing to learn. And that was the biggest thing that I focused on in my preparation um, to represent myself because the narrative that, you know, I got often was that, that um, it didn't matter how smart I was. It didn't matter, um, you know, how, how good an offer is or whatever the case may be is, would you be able to control your emotions when something didn't go right 
or something did go right or whatever. Like, and so um, it was pretty easy because you you kind of separate business from personal very 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 soon for me. And so I never took anything that they said personally or anything any team said personally. Um, and for me, it was just it's almost like a character or almost like a you know an actor to an extent. Like you when you go into these you know rooms, you understand that I am agent. You know, I'm an agent. I'm representing myself as a player. But then once you kind of go out, like, I'm back being who I am. And so you just have to have that, to in essence, a switch. That's amazing. I don't think people realize how uh, impressive that is from, like, a business acumen perspective. Golden, I know I know you had a question. Yeah. Um, Bobby, first and foremost, congratulations on all your achievements on and off the field. It, it's been incredible to watch you develop as – a rookie it. back in the day and evolved right. to the best linebacker in the league and the only linebacker in the league that I felt like could tackle me consistently. <laughs> um, I hated going against you once I left um, Seattle. But um, speaking on things that are impressive, you were voted as the 2023 Walter Payton Man of the Year on behalf of the Seahawks. Can you talk about that? Because I don't know, I don't know if people really understand like the dedication to obviously your craft on the field, but also giving back to the community because we only get one day off during the year. And I would imagine a lot of those on top of taking care of your body, you were also giving back to the community. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's a big part. Honestly, I credit to the guys I was around um, yourself, um, Cam, uh, Richard, KJ, Cliff, Mike Bennett, uh, on and on and on. It's like, uh, Marshawn, everybody had a foundation or everybody had a cause or everybody had something that they were um, trying to better their community where they came from, but also better the community in Seattle. And so coming in as a rookie, you see that and you're like, all right, well, I can't be the only guy that's not, you know, trying to find a way to change, you know, my community and Seattle. And so it kind of just started with that. And, you know, I would go to different people's events and see, you know, what they do in their causes and it forces you to figure out what's important to you. And, you know, I, I found that and it was pretty easy to find that for me. And it was just trying to figure out how you can do that. A lot of the work happens in the off season and you set it up to where like during the season you have these select days or these select times that you're going to give your time um, you know, to the city of Seattle and to the city of Ontario, California, LA, like wherever. Um, and so it's just, it takes a lot of planning. I got a great team that helps me with that. And, you know, I'm just trying to make sure that I, it, I don't just play football and I don't just, you know, when people, when I walk away from the game, people don't just know me as a football player, but I did something to impact the communities that I was a part of. Bobby, speaking of time, we we uh, held you longer than we said we would. Do you have time for one more question? Of course, let's do it. All right, Jeff, you hit him with one last question, and then we will uh, let Bobby go. All right, there was a big debate online like a couple of years ago again, you versus Luke Keekley, and we're glad that we ended up being on the right side of that. Do you ever see stuff like that? There was like a big debate whether you were better, whether he was better, and all the Seahawks fans always voted for you. Mm-hmm. Do you ever see stuff like that? Does that motivate you? Um, if it was like my earlier self, you kind of, I probably would say yes, because you, you kind of pay attention to that stuff. And then like, he was kind of the person I was always connected with, you know, Same because draft, we were the right? same draft, mm -hmm. you know, we got paid around the same time. 
um, everything was happening kind of simultaneously um, together. And, but, you know, as a competitor and as a fan of the game, you just appreciate who he was as a player, um, you know, and it wasn't just him. You know, I think Levante Davis is a guy that, you know, I love to watch and I don't think gets enough credit because he's the same draft class as myself. And you look at his numbers and his numbers have been amazing. I think, you know, he just played, you know, for some teams that didn't really have the winning records that we had um, because I felt like when Tom Brady got there, you know, I think a lot of people noticed him, you know, even more. Um, Demario Davis is another guy that I feel like, um, you know, should get a lot more love. And I think he started to get more love toward, later towards his career. Um, but I don't know. You don't really pay attention to those things because there's so many different factors, like, you know, who a person has in front of them and, and you know, who's he playing with, the success of the offense. Like, um, there was a lot of turnover for Luke, you know, his first couple of years, which allowed them to get, like, number one overall picks and things of that nature that we didn't have to deal with because, you know, we were winning. So um, you kind of just let it be. But we we had an appreciation uh, for one another. Uh, we were constant in communication with one another. Um you know, we came in and worked out together um, in the pre-draft um, at IMG. So um, I got a chance to be around him and watch how he worked and watch how he did some things. So I was always a fan of him. And so I didn't really try and, and let the, the media or the opinions of others kind of separate us as a as, as a fans of one another and friendship. Bobby, uh, amazing to have you come on. Before I let you go, I just want to say uh, – Emotional day for all of us around here with with Pete uh, going and seeing the kind of man Pete is. First time I met you, I was actually helping to serve uh, lunch in the C in the VMAT cafeteria, and every Seahawk would come in and I'd give them you know whatever, take the order, do whatever. You were the of all the great guys and great men in there. You were the first and only person that looked me straight in the eye, never seen me before introduced yourself, shook my hand, uh, you know, wanted to know me. And I, I've worked in a lot of places. I know what it means when somebody that has power, talent, influence, genuinely treats everybody with respect and what kind of person that is. And so not only do I want to just make sure everybody knows who doesn't, and I think they all do, what kind of man you are, um, but also credit to your family. Uh, I'd love to meet your mom and dad one day, but uh, they raised you right. And uh, all of us, I think I can speak for all of us in saying we are incredibly fortunate to be able to cheer for you. And I think we'll all cheer for you for as long as you want to play. So thank you. Uh, thank you very much for coming on the show tonight, brother. Thank you. That means a lot. Again, congratulations for your 300 episodes. I'm pretty sure that was not a easy task, but you know, it's, it's very impressive. I appreciate y'all support. Um, through the good and the bad, and, and it will be more good. I promise you that. Well, we're looking forward to it, man. Thank you. Thank you for coming on, and have a great Thanks, day at your night. Thank you, guys. See you, brother. All right. See, Golden, you know, uh, you come on, and and all the stars come out, man. Uh, this is the, <laughs> the new norm. Everyone's going to expect this from us every week. When's the last time you talked to Bobby? Um, The Super Bowl are actually – when we lift, when I lifted the flag, I spoke to him um, briefly before the game, and then I had a chance to spend some time with him at the Super Bowl reunion, which I was actually a bit surprised to see him there because obviously they were getting ready for their own game the following day. But he came out, um, 
hung out, showed love to everybody. And it was kind of, it was kind of crazy. Cause like, I felt like I was one of the last ones like still playing from our Super Bowl team. And, you know, there he was still holding up strong. So. All right. Before I hand over to Nathan, who, who kindly uh, stepped out. So, so Bobby could step in your GM. You're now in charge of the Seahawks, and your job is to to make this team better. Besides hiring a coach, what's your first thing when you're trying to build a great team? Like, what's your priority? Like, what do you think makes is the first step you'd take in trying to build a great team? Okay, so i I haven't I haven't studied the Seahawks to understand. Doesn't have to be specific. Um, you know, you got a good GM. Um, I think I th- you, you go f- <clears throat> figure out your defensive coordinator and your offensive coordinator, because it's going to start with them, those guys, as far as they're going to be responsible for the discipline that these two offense and defense play with the scheme. Um, you start there and then you go draft your pieces um, and you your draft, like I said earlier, is the most important part of this thing, because if you can draft correctly, um, you on, almost get a. In a way, you might even get a disc, you get a discount when it's time for the react because you know this guy, you know mm-hmm. what you're getting from this guy, because I've seen him as a rookie, uh, you know, grow into a vet guy. This is who I want to play. I've seen so many times where you bring in outside guys that you pay and then they just completely poof, disappear, or they're not what you thought they were. And so I think that's number one scheme. Um, Your scheme is important, but I see a lot of coaches who've been around for a while. They think they think they can just show up and they can run the same offense and defense that they ran that was successful back in 96 or 06 or whatever. No, your job is to see the play, the what players do I have? These are the players I have. And my goal as offensive coordinator, defense coordinator is to figure out what does this guy do very well? I want to set this guy up for success. Not what, not on what I believe he should be doing, but what I see in this young man. And that, that takes studying every individual player, spending time with every individual player, watching film on every, individual player obviously with the help help of your assistants but i think um those are the probably the the, in my opinion the biggest pieces because if you keep paying in-house guys i think that's a safer play and a lot of times you get a slight discount i mean they go somewhere else and then they break the bank is what happens but that's that's my belief but look i've never managed any team besides my fantasy team yeah (laughs) Yeah, I'm always just interested as a player, like what matters to you and and what what you look for and in, in, uh, what kind of team you want, would want to be on. So that's helpful. Leadership, Le- leadership is the leadership is just as big as who you hire. You want to figure out and however you can evaluate is this guy going to be a leader? Because really, you should have your captains and the guys within that huddle managing each other. And one thing that I remember. I remember when I was with Seattle, one of the big models was protect the team at all costs. Like when you leave this facility, just know there are people out here that are looking to get you and not, not in a good way. So it is our, it was promoting us hanging out outside of the locker room 
and it was also pr promoting us to like always have one of us who was going to be the responsible one that's going to keep us out because like you don't want to like it's hard winning these games and it's, it's it makes it even harder when you got negative attention coming your way whether you're talking about an incident that happened during practice or incident that happened outside of the locker room like you want to keep us tight because it's hard and when you let other stuff seek in like it's hard to over overcome that stuff on top of like playing good football nathan you've been a uh, patient what's on your mind yeah so golden you've had an incredible career you were an all-american in college right you won the Blitnikoff. you were drafted in two different sports you were a pro bowler you won a super bowl you broke the ref strike. Uh, <laughs> what are you most proud on looking back on your career to this point? What is there anything of those or something else that you, you know, kind of take the most pride in? Um, if we're talking about on the field, obviously bringing a championship and being the first team to bring a championship to Seattle is special. And during the time of like the tech boom, where we were as a, a fan base, as a as an organization, just to do that, and all we all felt like we did it together. Like I don't feel like we would have won a Super Bowl, or I don't feel as confident that we would have won a Super Bowl without the twelves. And so, like it was like we were all a big family, a big team, and it felt that way. And so I value that because I've been other places where I don't feel that I haven't felt that. So like, that is something that people don't understand when you talk about the twelves, like it's, it's almost, it's more than words. It's more than words. You need to be there and feel it. And we were, we were there. It was, it was special, but, um, and so just winning the championship. Now, as I get older, as I got older and, you know, football was my wife for a, a long time. And then I actually met my wife and then, you know, it was, she was just as important. And then I have kids and then the kids, you know, I, I was first on the total pole. And by the time it's all said and done, I'm about fourth, um, which is OK, just progress of life. But, you know, now looking back, like I never cared about my stats. I never cared about the awards or the YouTube videos. And like now that I have children who are old enough to understand, like now I feel like the coolest dad ever when I'm like, hey, daddy used to play football. Like my daughter said she was she misquoted it, but she was talking to one of her friends and she's like, yeah, my dad played that sport and he played for like 30 teams. I was like, well, that, that sounds like I sucked. Okay. <laughs> don't, don't say 30 teams, but I understand her point was like, she was proud of daddy and it was cool for her to say daddy played football. And now that was one of the first moments where I'm like, man, like, I feel like I'm bringing value to this family because like, she's only really remembered me because I've always been home kind of just, hanging out she's only she's turning six on in like two weeks and so i've been retired for like roughly two years and so you know when she was three and a half four she didn't really know what's going on just like yeah daddy's plays with me a lot and so like now it's like man what that's the purpose of all of this all right last one last question then we're gonna we're gonna wrap up here golden it's been amazing uh let me ask you this do you have any marshawn stories that people might not know that you can share Will that get you in trouble? Man, I got, I, yeah, I got one. I got one. So I am, I can't remember if I'm, if I'm a rookie or my second season. And, you know, Marshawn is, Marshawn is who he is. Okay. And one of the most intelligent people 
that I've ever been around. Like he knows his stuff. It's just he doesn't communicate the way people think he should. And so they're mistaken him from not being not having knowledge. But that boy got knowledge, first of all. Um, I remember he pulled up to a game or something and he had these two. I actually still got he had these two pinky rings. I'm like, I'm a guy coming from Notre Dame. I don't even wear jewelry yet. I wear like the little rubber bands things that says be strong or something or they're supporting whatever charity you're doing and so i'm like he got these pinky rings i'm like dang bro or yellow go i'm like dang bro let me get one of them kind of i'm just i'm just kidding i'm just like it's my way i said those are cool let me get one of them and he said blah you for real you want one i'm about to get some more anyway i was like yeah kind of not really yeah he was like boom took the rings off oh my god gave me both of them and i'm like what um, and I'm like, how much I owe you? He's like, blood, don't even worry about it, man. And just, you know, take care of me whenever. Like, I'm like, well, how much are you? He's like, man, don't worry about it. Just give me whatever. And um, to this day, like, I'm like, I look at them, look at those rings. And I remember like one, Marshawn is awesome, still awesome. Um, and like, just grateful. Like that just speaks to like how much her team loved each other. Like there was numerous of nights after games where we chose not to go out. We would just go to his house enjoy ourselves he would always make sure that no matter where we're going like look you better take a uber you better not drive give me them damn keys give me them keys like i don't care if you got to walk over tomorrow you ain't driving tonight and he he always took care of you um and make you drink hennessy of course <laughs> that is an amazing way to wrap up golden uh cannot thank you enough for jumping on the show tonight it's so great not only just uh because it's been fun to see you but Man, we've missed you around here. We really have. Uh, hadn't been the same without you and uh, seeing you. You, you look like you could still put them on. So you know, I, I'm not uh, I'm not holding out hope necessarily. But uh, man, it, it's been really great to have you. Thank you for coming on. And now that you've asked a question, an interview question, <laughs> you are essentially part of the Real Hawk Talk crew. So we will uh, work you in uh, as we go forward. So let's go. Thanks, thanks, man. Really appreciate you coming. My pleasure. And thank y'all so much for having me. And thank you so much for supporting myself, the teams that I was on. And congratulations. I mean, that is a huge achievement. And that speaks to y'all's dedication to be holding up strong. And at 300 episodes, good Lord, that's a lot of hours, a lot of prep. And I know that the fan base appreciate you because what you guys are doing is, is special. So congrats and thank you. Thanks, man. We All do right, a lot of boys. We do a lot of prep on these podcasts. Oh yeah. Golden has no idea that we spend uh, actually negative amount of time on prep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he, he, he actually asked me before coming on, he's like, well, you got a list of questions. And I'm like, uh, no one's ever asked me for that. And no, <laughs> I'm never coming on again. <laughs> I just, I just have to tell you something. I saw something in the chat when Bobby was on that said, Evan, Ask Bobby about his craziest food take and the willpower I had <laughs> to not ask him that question. I was like clenching my fist over here. Uh, I've yeah. never shown I've never shown that dedication before. I, I mean, it just says a lot about both those guys. Uh, they they don't they don't owe us shit. They don't need to come on this diddlywink show. They don't need to talk to a bunch of schmoes who just like the Seahawks. You know, Golden's got a ton of things he could do. Bobby just was like going through a pretty emotional day. Um, and, you know, specifically, 
you know, I was not going to ask him about the Pete stuff. I think that stuff's really fresh for him and really, really, you know, raw. So like, you know, having him come on, uh, it's just, it's just special. It's special. And I know we're going to wrap up here in a couple minutes. Um, uh, I wanted to say, and then if you guys had anything else you wanted to chat about, happy to stick around for a bit. I know Evan's got to drop, but 300 is about a lot of things. It's not just about great guests. Um, I think 300 is also about each one of you guys. It's about Dana. It's about Derek. It's about Trey. Um, you know, you've all contributed a ton to this pod. And as I've talked about in previous episodes, nobody here gets paid. Um, you all work full-time jobs. Um, some of you work a little harder than others, but generally, you know, you all work full-time jobs. And you come on here week after week, sometimes multiple times in a day, year after year. And it's not always because you're dying to do it. Like the Seahawks have not made it easy to like come on here all the time. And so I just want to thank you publicly, each one of you for, for what you've done. Um, and we're getting close. We're at 300 episodes. We're getting close to 300 grand that we're going to have given away. Um, I don't know if we'll ever get to a million, but that would be cool. And if we, uh, if we don't, um, it's been, it's been an amazing experience to be able to get to be uh, good friends with all of you and, and, uh, you know, break nachos. Uh, that's our version of breaking bread. And, uh, just want to, just want to thank you for all that. Um, that's kind of you brother. Well, it's genuine. It's genuine. 2017. Is that really when we started doing this? I don't even remember what happened in 2017. That sounds right. I I started the blog in 2007. I had like some, you know, tiny, tiny podcast from like 2010, 2011. But I think Jeff, you and I started real Hawk talk right around then. Yeah, it was the year. What was the year Sheldon Richardson got traded? Was that 2017? 18? Yes. <laughs> I don't, I don't Me and Brian, I think in like our second episode, almost broke that trade. Yes. Yes. And we had, was that Garofalo that we had? Yeah. On? Garofalo came on and like driving to training camp or something. That was one of the most bizarre things. Why does, why do people agree to come on this show? Like even then we had like nobody, like no, it was you and me. And we had some like yeah. absolute shit set up. Like, I don't know. It's fascinating. Um, all right. Uh, Nathan, I want to give you a shot to talk about the news with Pete before the rest of us have already had our share. I know Evan's going to have to drop here, but uh, any thoughts from you about the news with Pete? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was a surprisingly super emotional day for me today. Uh, I didn't know. I mean, we've been talking about this forever, um, and so I did not expect to get so in my feelings about this. Um, but as soon as it came out, it felt really bad. Um, not to say it's wrong, um, not to say that they shouldn't have been moving on. I mean, we've talked a lot, 300 episodes about uh, Pete and this team. And so, you know, I think all the opinions are, are well known and everything. Um, but, you know, when he first got, when it, broke that he was leaving or moving into a different role, which I think it, you know, really seems like more of a firing than anything. Um, All those like criticisms fell away and I didn't have to worry about like Pete's timeout usage or anything. And like (laughs) what really came into focus is 
how unique he is, um, how special he is as a person. Um, and yeah, it just bummed me out because, you know, there's a lot of one of one talk. And I think that's really true. Like Golden, I think it was one of the very first things that it, Golden talked about it a couple different times is like, you know, letting people, letting the players be themselves. Um, and you've talked about this, Brian, and it's, you know, a lot of people have talked about like, hey, Pete changed the NFL in terms of how you treat players, um, playing music at practice, um, that kind of stuff was not done. Um, and so, you know, like, I've been waiting and talking and advocating for Pete to get fired for so long. And now I'm just like, I'm going to miss the press conferences. I'm going to miss the energy. I'm going to miss just him as a person. And, and I think one of the worst feelings that you can have is realizing that you didn't appreciate something enough until it was gone. Um, and so I'm definitely like that. Like I have a lot of like regret that I didn't balance, you know, uh, appreciating his positives and who he was as a person well enough against the critiques, which, yeah, I still think he should have passed more. And I still think he sucks at timeout usage and challenges sometimes. And like, he should go for fourth down more and like, yeah, but like we had a really, really cool thing and it's over. And that sucks a lot. That's really, really well said. Um, and I also appreciate the humility in it. Uh, it's it's way easier just to be, you know, pigheaded about any one point of view. And one of the things I, I appreciate appreciate about the folks on this show is that uh, we don't just stick to our priors. Like we'll 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 own all the all the various complexities that it means to be a fan and a person. And Pete, if there's anyone that's going to pull that out of uh, all of us, it's Pete. And I think we've been, all been on every side of the Pete conversation, sometimes within the same episode of the show. So he, uh, he certainly has, has brought that out. Um, Jeff, I'm curious, any more thoughts from you um, uh, after this afternoon's uh, emergency pod? Yeah, I'm, it's still so surreal. Um, I've never remembered a coach leaving that felt like a funeral. And it's just, it's, He's not dead. He's alive. He, but I just I can't remember another coach leaving like this. And it was odd enough that he got a press conference. Most coaches, when they're fired, Mike Vrabel yesterday, he's shown the door. You don't see it from him again. He won't talk till he gets his next job. And just I was, yeah, I was definitely in my feelings. Seeing Evan, who's been one of Pete's biggest uh, – criticizer over the year just almost crying on our show earlier i'm not making light of it it was kind of struck me and so just to see like the more we've seen just to, like have you seen any of like the gino shots of him with pete and him after like some of these guys are devastated so like it's been good to like just kind of take that all in see how much and like listen i've been advocating for this move as well so it's been, it was kind of just surreal to see that happen and just to go through this all in one day. Yeah, I'm still kind of, I'm still in shock and I ultimately do think it was the right decision and I commend ownership for doing it. It was bold and he clearly did not want to be fired, but you just saw what kind of man he was. And just really at the end of the day, I'm still like, it was great that we, it was just a legend is gone. And like, it's hard to wrap your head around. And then Nick Saban retires and, 
Belichick might be out. It's just like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. Yeah. It's a big change. It's a big change. I, I think some of the things that really stood out for me in the press conference, um, when he first started getting choked up, it wasn't about his situation. It was about all his coaching staff and that he was fighting for them and fighting for their families and their kids um, to not have to move. And when you got someone that internalizes other people like that, that is such a sign of just a quality person. Like if the world was full of people like that, <laughs> holy shit, it would be so much better. Uh, so many people are just out for number one and are, are you know, that's 90% of what's on their mind. And clearly that's not Pete never has been. And the other was just him talking about Glenda and knowing, knowing his story and knowing the depths that he went through and the self doubt and the, and the just like, he was a joke, uh, as a coach when he left the NFL, like he was a punchline and for him to go and navigate that and get to the top of the heap in college and then to take the chance to come here and get there again. And for his wife, for them to share that through the whole thing, for their his sons to work for him in this industry and learn and see. I mean, it's just, it, it was amazing. It was an amazing kind of opus of, of, you know, uh, a really impressive life that he's led um, both in terms of accomplishment values and impact. Um, so yeah, I, I, there's no part of me that's happy um, that the Pete Carroll era is over. That that's, that's not at all part of it. Um, and I don't think that anyone objectively could look at the last seven or eight years and say that more of the same is, is clearly the way forward. And so I understand if John Schneider was part of this decision, if you know, obviously Jody Allen, Burke Holder, part of this decision, I understand where they're coming from. And I think I wrote this a few weeks ago and I, I, I still feel this way. People are like, ah, uh, Nathan, you said it. People, you know, you don't appreciate till it's, what it's gone. And they're like, you're saying goodbye to Hall of Fame coach. You, you know, you're just going to see the how bad it can be. I am ready to, I prefer pain to mediocrity. I prefer pain to apathy. Like, I will take this team becoming absolute shit for a shot at potentially changing what was a trajectory that wasn't going anywhere interesting. And uh, so I, I just, I want to explain like there, there are multiple sides to this. Um, and, and I, I just think uh, people are going to take whatever point of view they want. I'm of multiple minds on this, um, but I think it's the right decision and I'm really sorry to see him go. It's a complicated set of feelings to have. Um, Nathan, you have not had a chance to offer if there's any candidates or even if it's not a specific head coaching candidate that you're interested in, are there characteristics that um, are interesting to you that you'd like to see in the next head coach? I mean, this has been talked about a lot at this point, but I think, you know, the head coaching position is not about 
X's and O's so much. It's about leadership um, in the culture and the organization. And that's such a hard thing to get a feel for from the outside. Um, so, you know, I would prefer an offensive minded coach, um, mainly for reasons that, you know, good OCs tend to get poached more than good DCs. Um, and so that I think maybe gives you some stability. Um, I, I would prefer not necessarily younger, although like you called Evan on it and like, if I'm being honest, yes, younger (laughs) is a thing. Um, uh, but something, someone that's just been involved in something interesting, right? Like Dan Lanning is kind of interesting. Kalen DeBoer is really interesting. Um, you know, maybe like Bobby Slowick. Uh, you'd be taking a big chance there with, you know, a pretty young, inexperienced guy. Um, but somebody that's just been doing something that's a little bit different and kind of pushing the envelope on, you know, advancing football. Um, That is really what I'd like to see. And so, you know, Dan Quinn is the big rumor right now. That doesn't wow me. Um, But I like coaching. These hires are impossible. I I didn't, uh, Pete didn't wow me. And Mm. now that Pete's gone, I'm thinking like, well, who is the Pete that they can go get? Because they like to do that, right? Holmgren and Pete, they like to go find these guys that have championships and so now that, like, at, for, I didn't like Pete when they hired him. And now I'm like, well, okay, who's the next Pete? We got to go get the next Pete. Um, you got to get that pedigree. Um, so I'm going to be really open-minded about it, I think. Um, and, you know, just fingers crossed. I love he brought up Dan Lanning. When I, I mentioned him on Twitter a few weeks ago, and I got just all sorts of flack. And I think probably Husky fans or whatever. I'm a Huskies fan, but... I respect the hell out of the way Dan Lanning handled the Deion Sanders uh, dust up that happened earlier this year. He didn't back down, but he also spoke to it. I think he comes across as a really good leader. Uh, Like I love his energy. I think that he's built an offense that is both run centric and um, explosive. Uh, You know, I think his offense speaks to probably his flexibility. Because mm-hmm. he's not an Oregon guy. He's a Kirby Smart guy, mm-hmm. right? He came from Georgia. And so, one, that's really cool because Kirby Smart is a Saban disciple. And obviously, Georgia's been incredibly dominant. And, and Smart's doing a lot of smart stuff uh, with, you know, how you defend college defenses or college offenses. But so, they Oregon goes and gets Lanning. And Lanning kind of gets, you know understands the lay of the land and is like, yeah, we're going to play Oregon offense, right? We're going to, we're going to do the Chip Kelly offense. Uh, and so that flexibility to me is really interesting too, along with like the fourth downs and how he handles himself in the media and all that kind of stuff. So him and DeBoer, I think are probably the two guys that I'm most interested in. I mean, those would be really exciting to me. Jeff, I mean, my number one criteria for a head coach is whether I believe that they can be a great leader. Like because I think you can have all sorts of other attributes. You can be an innovative as an offensive coordinator or defense, all this other stuff. But if you step in there and these alpha guys do not respect you, it doesn't matter. You like, if you can't lead the coaches and there's going to be like, there's going to be moments like multiple moments every week, every game, like 
every season that just test your metal. And if you don't know who you are and you don't know how to lead people through it, I just think it just doesn't matter. So that's my number one. What's what's top of mind for you? If it, you know, if, if that's it, great. What else comes to mind is like absolute, like what you want to see in the next head coach. Uh, well, the leadership I've talked about for years, I, I think we focus so much on what Nathan talked about, who the good play callers are. And obviously that's an important factor just because you're seeing OCs and how hard it is to find them. But for me, I think it's really important. I know this might be kind of back. I want to see someone that wins with scheme. And I want to see someone who aggressively beats the other team with scheme, whether that's an offensive scheme, whether that's a defensive scheme. So that's where someone like a Ben Johnson or uh, Slowick that Nathan mentioned or Mike McDonald in. And we've seen what Mike McDaniel has done with scheme. And it kind of just feels like the league has shifted towards that. Obviously, I want them to be a great leader. But when was the last time in a Seahawks game, and I know Pete won a little differently, where you really saw Seahawks out-scheme someone? It's been like years. It might be like the first year Pete was there where they had that like crazy bandit 7 DB formation. And it just seems like I want to see a team that wins with scheme, and I want to see a team that's really detailed. And I mean, that might be just the thing I was talking about earlier, where when you leave one partner, you kind of want the exact opposite of what you just had. And Pete was not great on details. He was great at just inspiring confidence. I feel like a lot of the teams I saw this year, and you saw so many backup quarterbacks, and you saw the coaches like Kevin O'Connell and Zach Taylor and what he did with Jake Browning and Shane Steichen was really good with Minshew this year. It just seems like a trajectory of coaches that can win. And I think winning with schemes important. And, oh, for God's sakes, I want someone who values offensive line. That might, I don't know if that's a John yeah. thing. I don't know if that's a coach thing. I, the first Seahawks teams I started watching were Walter Jones and Steve Hutchinson. That was one of the reasons I fell in love with the Seahawks. I can't go another 10 years of offensive lines that look like this. And a lot of the offensive coaches that Nathan's talked about, and they really do have a value on offensive line that maybe a defensive coach might not. So that's a really important thing to me because I just can't watch that teams getting pushed around in the up, up front for like the 12th year in a row. You know what else has been a characteristic of, I think, really successful head coaches is guys that are excellent on one side of the ball and then can bring in someone else on the opposite side who's also Mike Holmgren. Oh, man, I'm forgetting his DC who actually. Shermer. He, yeah, Fritz Shermer. And he, he, he unfortunately passed away before he, he was able to play with or coach with Mike here. Um, Pete uh did not do that here like there wasn't like the clear offensive guy um but dan quinn did that in atlanta for sure like he went and got kyle shanahan um and so i've seen that happen before and so i guess i'm a little bit more skeptical that there's a an nfl head coach an existing head coach that can come in and be innovative like that, that that's available and innovative. That seems less likely. Probably not. Like Vrabel, no. Vrabel, Quinn, you know, Belichick even. Uh, like, I, I don't know. Um, so I think you're talking about either assistant coaches or college coaches. And I think your ceiling is higher on a college coach because you just don't know. Your risk, your floor is way lower on a college coach. Um, but I, 
I don't have a strong feel. I guess my slight lean would be a college coach, like slight lean. But they got it. They got to be able to be someone that commands the room. They got to be a program builder. And that was something Pete was. Yeah. You see like Josh McDaniels is like the best example of like X's and O's genius play caller. Obviously we had Tom Brady, but he's been in two situations now where he's lost the room within two years. And you saw it all across the league. Like we're seeing it. Arthur Smith, he was a really good OC, just fizzled. Nathaniel Hackett, like Mm -hmm. literally his last name describes Well, think about what Golden said about Jeremy Bates. Yeah. Was Jed Fish the name? It was Jed Fish he was referring to. He was a college coach. Yeah. 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 It's a huge, it's a huge thing. Um, All right. Uh, I think that's, I mean, there's, plenty for us to talk about now um but let's uh let's wrap there did, did you guys have anything else you wanted to say before we wrap uh 300 episode i'm curious brian are you more excited right now about the future of this team i am i'm i am more interested in the future of this team right now than i was um and now I know that Jim Harbaugh is like the one of the names that gets bandied about, and I'm part of the reason I'm interested because I just don't think there's a chance in hell that Jim Harbaugh is coming here. I don't think John Schneider would hire him. I don't think Jim Harbaugh would agree to come here. If Jim Harbaugh was the guy, I would be much, much less interested and excited than I am with Pete Carroll. So, um, other than that, yeah, it, it's time, a- and I'd rather it happen the way it happened now than to where everybody is just like shitting on Pete and like, get him out of here. And the press conference is actually like a negative thing. This is like a way to celebrate him for all that he did. And I think this is the last year that that could have been true. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes sense. All right, everybody. If you have not given the show, like what is wrong with you? As they say, smash the like button, subscribe to the channel, uh, click the bell to get notified. You never know when we're going to go live. We had emergency pod today, two pods, double dip. And you saw two guests, 200th episode. We had Katie Nolan. We had Mina Kimes. Uh, we had Joe Fan, who became a realtor after our show. So who knows? Maybe Golden's going to go into real estate with Tyler uh, after this show. But this 300th episode, we had Bobby and Golden. Who knows? who's going to come on for 400 or in between go to patreon.com slash hawk blogger, sign up now, get access to the Slack channel. Apologies for not being able to get to patron questions this week. As you saw, we had some guests that were going to take the full time. We will get back to talking about the off season, about what's next coaching uh, opportunities. Who's going to, Decisions that are going to be made about free agents. I think this affects Jordan Brooks' decision. I think this affects Geno Smith as a decision. I think this affects Tyler Lockett. It could affect all sorts of players up and down the roster. We will be here to talk you through it and uh, a lot of interesting things coming. So appreciate all of you for tuning in and for supporting the show. Until we see you next time, have a great night. Hey folks, this is Brian Nemhauser. Thanks for listening to the show. Hope you enjoyed it. 
I want you to know that Real Hawk Talk is available on all major podcast platforms. Go ahead and subscribe. Have all podcasts delivered directly to your phone after each and every show. And then go ahead and leave us a five-star review. Helps us out, gets more people to the show. Then, if you haven't already done it, go to patreon.com slash hawkblogger and subscribe for just five bucks a month. Gets you immediate access to our Slack channel. Join hundreds of folks in that community to talk Seahawks about wins, losses, and all things in between. Not to mention, become eligible to win giveaways for Seahawks tickets and get to ask questions of the Real Hawk Talk crew every week on the show. Finally, if you haven't gone to hawkblogger.com recently, head on over. Tail the tape morning after articles are there every week. Hoping to see you there. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for supporting the show. Go Hawks.